Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have a delightful conversation with Dr. Dina Garner. And in this episode, we discuss her research into using a mouthpiece that can affect the placement of the tongue, your airways and your respiratory system, and even the cerebral blood flow. It's really an extraordinary episode. And part of the reason I do this podcast is because I want to have these remarkable stories with people doing incredible things and learning from the best and the great thought leaders out there. And, And Dr. Dina Garner is really leading the way in understanding how we can affect the way we breathe and even blood flow to the brain, which may help with things like concussion. It definitely can help with perceived exertion. And the science coming out of that is quite extraordinary. Now, look, I'm a skeptical Aussie, so I'll always look at these things and go, oh, I don't know about this. You know, it it sounds too good to be true. But I have ordered this mouthpiece. I will be giving it a go. I am going to explore it because I think it's fascinating. And I think you'll find after listening to this episode, it might be worth you looking into it as well. Please understand this is not a a sponsorship. Airwave have nothing to do with me. It's just an interest of mine to understand human performance and reaching our human potential and what little things we can do to try and help that. And Dr. Dina Garner is really trying some advanced research here, and I think it's pretty extraordinary. But a little bit of housekeeping before we go on. I want to thank you so much for listening. It does mean the world to me. If you are enjoying the show, I appreciate all of you for sharing on on your social platforms. I also love the feedback, so please keep that coming. I want to get better so I can can handle some of the negative criticism, let it come my way. I also don't mind the little pat on the back every now and then. Also, I'm going to give a little plug out to any question. Uh, If you want to download the app on iOS or Android, any question, it's Q&A platform with... uh, where you can ask all the world's great experts questions and get video responses. Uh, at the moment on the on the platform, we have all the world's greatest triathletes and triathlon coaches, swimmers and, and swim coaches, um, cyclists, and a lot of health. Running is coming soon. And go check it out. Anyway, that's any question. You can even go to anyquestion.com forward slash Greg Bennett and use mine uh, to log in if you want to have that referral. But anyway, guys, I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did and and just continue to learn and grow from people doing remarkable things. And remember, success comes to those who you endure just one moment longer. All right. My guest today is a full professor in the Department of Health and Human Performance, the Director of Undergraduate Research and the Assistant Provost for Research and Policy at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. She has a postdoctorate in neurology, PhD in health and human performance, master's in exercise physiology, and she is leading the research in what can be done to just optimize our respiratory airways, specifically the effects of the mouthpiece on the respiratory physiology. It's an enormous honor and privilege to have her join me today. So welcome and thank you for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Dr. Dina Garner. How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. I had mentioned to you earlier before you introduced me that I have been listening to podcasts for quite a while. And when I had heard of yours, I was excited to start listening to those podcasts and was excited to see how those were just done and the conversation. So it made me excited for today's meeting and so appreciate you having me here today. It's I love to talk about my research and then 
to hopefully provide another avenue through this podcast so that it reaches different people. So thank you for having me. Oh, no. When I first started this show, I, I my, my number one thing was I want to just learn from the greats, the remarkable thought leaders of the world, the people doing incredible research. And, and here I am, you know, two and a bit years later, and, and the opportunity to speak to someone like yourself is, uh, it always makes me feel very special and very fortunate. So thanks for coming on again. Um, first off, before we go, the Citadel, that's a military college in South Carolina, correct? That is correct. What brought you into the military sort of side of all of this? My pathway has navigated from South Carolina, where I grew up, to uh, South America. I spent two years after college in South America, then to Oregon for five years, and then finally back to South Carolina. And honestly, would never have imagined I would end up at a military school, especially after being in uh, Corvallis, Oregon, where it's the 180 of how uh, you dress, <laughs> yeah. you know, Birkenstock and jeans. And here I wear my uniform, which I'm very <laughs> proud to wear. Yeah. But it is not a life, uh, a place that I had envisioned ending up, but so appreciate being here. And it really, my being here is a result of the postdoctoral fellowship that I did at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. Mm. And we're just across the street, basically, the Citadel is from that. There's College of Charleston, the Citadel, and MUSC. And so during my research, I love research, but I also had a little taste of teaching at Oregon State. And I missed that um, at MUSC. So I looked for um, just opportunities and Citadel open presented itself. So that's how I ended up here. Fantastic. Well, my, my good friend, uh, Mike Danielson, who's on the Any Question app that I, that I work on, um, he said, Greg, there's a doctor that you must speak to. She's just her expertise in the area of airways for runners and cyclists and triathletes. Um, and he just said, you know, she'll truly get your attention when you start talking about how the tongue is one of the most important muscles to train to beat your best times and that kind of thing. And I was like, okay, I'm all in because this is all about mm -hmm. learning. And so that's really what I want to dive into today with you. But before we go into that, let, let's rewind the clock a bit. You touched on it just then, but I mean, in that introduction, postdoctorate in neurology, PhD, health and human performance, master in exercise physiology, I need to know where this passion came from. Where did this desire to understand human performance and our potential really come from? Can you can you just share a little bit of that, about that? Sure. You know, these, these opportunities open up as you navigate through life and you meet various people. And so it was at the University of South Carolina where, where I was doing my master's degree. I met an individual who was from Oregon and he suggested that I go to graduate school, get my doctorate at Oregon State. And then it was there that I was introduced to muscle physiology. So just at the cellular level, the microscopic level of understanding muscle function was so fascinating to me. Mm. And just, you know, your biceps and your triceps and you can get them stronger with nutrition, various training techniques, but I was able to see that muscle cell at the microscopic level, mm. truly. And so to dig to that level and to see how different training regimens affected the muscle cell, that just fascinated me. Mm. But, you know, that I didn't go out to do that. It was just an opportunity and I, I went for it. You know, oftentimes in life, you're presented with these opportunities and you shouldn't take them all. But 
when you're not trained or you feel like you have the adequate training to do those, like at 100%, it shouldn't keep you back, especially as a graduate student. You should just trust your advisor. And if they see something in you and and do that, even though it's hard, it was super hard for me to learn that technique. But, you know, I got down to the microscopic level, but that opened opportunity at medical university to do my postdoctoral in more the central nervous system Mm. area. So it was bridging, starting to, you know, start at the microscopic and then I'm expanding out because those are connected, the Mm -hmm, central nervous mm -hmm. system. And so just having that exposure um, led me to an opportunity that when I got to the Citadel, someone approached me and asked me to do research with a mouthpiece. And I was like you, I think probably initially, it's like my mouthpieces, like there's nothing in exercise physiology literature that would suggest that it would have an effect. But I was passionate about this might be something of interest. And if not, it'll give a good project to a graduate student and for myself. And so in investigating that, I'm, I'm not afraid to take, I guess, chances mm. and put my reputation, reputation on the line. And that's what it is, because it is such an odd and unique area. Mm. But it really resulted in some unique findings that now we're, I am linking to other areas of research like sleep apnea and some of the things that Japanese re, uh, researchers have done related to clenching and chewing. So it's, I guess, going circling back to your question is, you know, how, what has made me passionate about this is primarily I, I like to see opportunities and I'm not afraid to do something that's not been done. And if mm. I fail, which I have failed many times, you should see there's in my lab, there's, hun- you know, not hundreds, but 20 or so more of mouthpieces I've worked on over the years just to try to see what works. And so it's just those failures that have informed the successes. I love that. I, lo- I love that you're, I'm a big fan of people that are open to opportunity and diving in without the fear of failure because it's almost like living at that point is when you're truly living, when you peer over the edge and you give something a go and and you learn from those mistakes probably more than you do from the wins. And, and so I think that's fantastic. And, and I also really appreciate how you said, you know, I was looking really at the sort of microscopic level of the, the muscular system, but it's like, hang on, these things are all connected. So I can imagine when you start studying one thing, you're like, hang on, now I have to go into the central nervous system because I need to know how this is firing at a, at a deeper level. So you're constantly feeling like you've got to keep learning and learning and learning. Do you find that? Are you yes. somebody that just now you're in this, it's like a snowball effect. I've got to keep, you know, gathering more yes. information. You said earlier, you're, you're, you love to learn. I feel the same. I haven't learned mm. everything I need to learn. And I am constantly bouncing off questions off individuals. I mean, I think that's good, right? You, Mm. you're open to different ways of thinking. I have loved to read the literature. So that is where I want to stay, right? I want to stay in that place of always being a learner. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those places that keeps me there. We don't know all the answers. So it keeps me digging. But you're not just, you're not just reading, you know, you've also out there with actionable projects where you you're developing mouthpieces and you're trying to understand the jaw and then the effects of cortisol levels and lactic and from everything i've understood you know the the science that's coming back is quite remarkable we'll dive into that in a a little bit more but before i do i almost wanted to shift gear a little bit and 
were you an athlete growing up? When you look at the human body now, are you coming from an athletic background or did the human body just fascinate you? Yes. And you alluded to that with your earlier question. I, I got off on a tangent. No. But yes, I was an athlete. Yeah. I grew I grew up as an athlete and really could do any sport. It was at the age of nine, however, I had a lawnmower accident. And so on my foot, you know, and so they said, you'll never be able to to run, maybe you'll walk. And so I had always been, even as a female, the fastest, even with the boys for some crazy reason, I was just a fast individual and I love to run. And so when they told me that I said, no, that is not an option. (laughs) And I did train and work harder and I came back and I ran track on high school and college level. I wasn't as fast as I was, but I was not going to let that keep me down. I believe, you know, that those barriers, how I I saw, you know, and maybe wanted to focus on human performance Mm -hmm. at a, you know, the, it's not a, a disability like some people have, but it does affect your ability to be active and active, active people are stronger people. And so I wanted to understand you know, as I understood that just psychologically, what did that mean physically and physiologically? That was important to me from the phys- muscle physiology perspective. I wonder where, I mean, you could tell me, where, where did that power at nine years of age come from to say, I'm not going to let this affect me? Because I put myself as a nine-year-old and it would have been, woe is me. You know, like I, would, I don't know that I would have had the strength of character. Was that, were you that brought up that way where, you know, it's water off a duck's back. We, we push forward with whatever we have. I don't think you think about it back then, but, and I, you, you don't know how you would have responded. You think you may not, <laughs> but you probably would have knowing the athlete that you are. Yeah. And, and so I will say, obviously, it was my upbringing. We grew up on a farm and we were working hard. And also my parents encouraged and never thought that I couldn't do something. And then I will tell you this. My grandmother back then was a long time ago. She wore blue jeans and she smoked and she drove a race car. <laughs> and our our last name is Petty. And so Richard Petty's like distant, distant cousin. So I know her part of her spirit, you know, that genetically was given and just that way we lived. She passed that on. And so I think that was part of it. But who knows, right? Why you respond the way you do. I don't know. I think there's something about you, country folk and farmers. And I I had a guy on the show just recently, um, Christian Schorf, who's a good friend of mine. And and we were talking about his childhood, you know, growing up on the the farm. And I think it was, forgive me, but I think it was Wisconsin. And He's a hard man. You know, there's a strength that you get when you're living off the land and providing and, um, you know, that character that you develop in your childhood years that then goes into, your, you know, your formative years and teenage years and, and, and that carries over. I think there's a resilience that you get with that kind of uh, upbringing. So fascinating. But let's, let's get dive into really what I want to talk about because I'm so intrigued. I guess you've kind of touched on a little bit, but... The airways. When this was brought to you and you said, okay, I'm going to dive into this, were you skeptical? Was it, you know what, I'm going to lean into this, even though you said it might be your reputation on the line? Or was it more, 
open to the idea that if we can make changes by wearing a mouthpiece, the airways, the potential is huge. Let's start with the why, you know, why the airways and why was that interesting to you? So for me, it was really exploratory research. You know, I had no frame of reference to understand a mouthpiece except that as a mouth guard and protection. And I, in the sports that I did, we never wore those. So even that was foreign to me. It was really the encouragement of my mentor, um, Dr. Hank Cross, who had come to me and asked to do this research. He had a little bit of money, not much. You know, the question was, what do you think is causing these changes? And I said to him, I really do not think anything is I think this is all in someone's head, right? And so he he said, I just want you to figure it out if you can. I think that was part of the <laughs> motivation for me is to, okay, let's at least prove myself right. And if not, it'll be fun to figure this out. And I really honestly for years did not believe the results we were finding. We were finding positive improvements with the mouthpiece. And I kept just saying to myself, this is just, oh, it just a happenstance. There's really no credibility. And I, but I started to wear it and I started to see changes with how I performed. And it's not like you don't become an elite Olympic athlete when you wear it. But what I found is it's more not the acute changes, but chronic. So wearing it has an effect on inflammation and recovery. Mm -hmm. It does have an effect on just your perceived um, exertion, rate of exertion. So for me, after I started seeing these results, I had to figure it out like, okay, so it wasn't enough for me that it had an effect. I wanted to see why, and that's mm-hmm. what caused me to dig deep. So the mouthpiece, was it brought to you or was it your idea? And, and how long ago was that? Yes, yeah, so it was about 18 years ago. Um, there was a company who basically created upper mouthpiece and they asked me to do some studies with it with, and then we changed a little bit on the lower and I started to see some things, but then the company basically went under, but I, with even without research money, I was using my own to figure this out because I had at that point had put in enough time and effort into it. And enough people to continue to say, this doesn't work. This doesn't work that I was bound and determined to say, yes, we have to figure this out why it does. And I continue to do the research. You know, that is what kind of Mm. precipitated this current, you know, the current mouthpiece, the airwave. Okay. So when you say you were seeing some things, um, what tests were you doing and and what Mm -hmm. were you seeing that you wanted to keep it going? So we've done basically two types. I tried to stay away from subjective testing because that's what some of the dentists had done in the 80s with mouthpieces. And they were citing improvements, but there were a lot of, you know, and reasonable to say this, people would question it because the subjectivity of the studies. So my goal was to try to create a study that was less subjective with measuring blood markers, and respiratory changes. So we looked at two basic types, endurance and resistance training type protocols. And in this exploratory research, you know, I started small and just did 30 minutes. And then for resistance training, we built up to an hour. 
And we started to see these improvements with mouth issues, which informed my theory of potentially what's going on. And then with the the endurance with treadmill, we would use treadmill at, say, 65 to 75 percent of their VO2 max. Mm -hmm. We would see changes in lactate. And then I said, well, what's going on with that? And then that's when I started to do like oxygen, um, carbon dioxide, respiratory assessments with someone while they were wearing it. And we did CT scans with and without. And then those results led me to sleep apnea research. And then it validated what I was seeing with healthy subjects. Hmm. Did you ever do VO2 tests or anything like that on to see if there was any changes in optimizing VO2? We're actually doing that now. So we're starting that and we'll have data with VO2 with individuals, we we do have equipment now, which we did not have prior, that would allow us to capture those metrics. With typic, those systems typically would have a piece that went into your mouth, and so we've got a system now that allows air just to be contained, and we can measure uh, VO two with the system. So I'm excited to see what we have. I don't know. I'm hoping it would. We'll, we'll demonstrate what I think is going on, but we'll know that by the end of the semester. It's fascinating because I, I haven't, you know, I've retired a while ago from being an athlete and now I, you know, I'm, I'm a 45 minutes to an hour a morning of either weight training or aerobic activity of some form. But it, it wasn't something top of mind that wearing a mouthpiece could affect the way that I breathe and perform. First, I'm curious is whose idea was it first to go, oh, if we put something in your mouth, you might be able to breathe better because I, my mind doesn't even go to that part. And then understanding, so I guess who, and then, <laughs> and then the science of how fascinates me that this potentially, um, and, and I want to hear the science from you, it could be a game changer in the way that we breathe. I guess really what happened is I started to see these results, but when I read the literature, I realized that some mouthpieces could impair your breathing because you would like, you're correct. You would think having a mouthpiece in that wouldn't be mm. helpful. Mm. But what we did was we had individuals have a mouthpiece, lower mouthpiece, and then they did not have a mouthpiece and they could open their mouth. Mm-hmm. And I realized that with the, op- you would think you're getting more air in because your mouth is open more. So the individuals with the mouthpiece would d- bite down and breathe through their mouth. And it's the opening is barely, barely any at all. Mm-hmm. And they actually did better with the mouthpiece. And so I had to say, well, why? And so that made me realize that basically, if you think about if something's in your mouth, that you'll see that your tongue's going to go for it. You know, you're just kind of touching and feeling. And the research that Sabioski and some other individuals were doing when I read that, when you place your tongue at the bottom of your mouth, that it's a mechanical shift in your base. It's called the pharyngeal area, basically the back of your throat. And we were seeing that with CT scans. So when I put all that together, I realized that if I made slight modifications on that mouthpiece to keep that tongue in a more forward and downward position, it would contract. And there's a lot of research on that tongue muscle. It's called the genioglossus. And how, if you can do that, especially with not only healthy people, but sleep apneic people, Mm. it'll open their airway. And so when I did that, absolutely, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that. And that's what 
you know, who, you know, that's what, how that process and made that change. Is it more about the tongue placement? Yes. That, that's, that's what we're looking at, keeping the tongue mm-hmm. down. And I'm trying to do it while I'm talking to you. I shouldn't be doing that one. <laughs> and <laughs> I I, I'm sure every listener has their tongue on the bottom of their mouth right now. I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to figure yeah. it out. But I mean, so you can't, if you try to do that consciously, just do it by you can't do it on your own. You need you need the support of something like a mouthpiece to push it down. You can, you absolutely can. Um, but what the that last part of the mouthpiece does is there's research to show that when you have occlusal surfaces, both your top and your bottom teeth touching, and there's a mandibular shift in your lower, you know, your lower jaw. Mm. It actually facilitates even more opening. So you've got the genioglossus on the bottom of your your mouth and then you've got your biting down and that causes the mouthpiece design to shift your mandible forward mm. so you got a couple of things going on with that so you could absolutely run without it or but i find it's just easier i don't have to think about it when it's in my mouth yeah, right yeah. So, yes so it protrudes, protrudes the the lower jaw so you end up with mm-hmm. somewhat of a, a an underbite is that right yeah a little bit it yeah. basically brings your lower back yes, to your upper teeth so that they can touch, but it, they're not touching because there's a little, you know, yeah, the rubber yes, or material correct. there. Now, it leads me to, I feel like there's been a lot about nose breathing recently and I can't do that. I feel like I've got my septums in my nose. I'm such a mouth breather, breather it's mm-hmm. unbelievable. I've, I've never been able to breathe through my nose like everybody, well, not everybody, but it seems to be recommended the whole time. And I was even told to tape my mouth shut you know, at sleep at night because I get a bit of a dry mouth and I've tried all of that and it's just horrific. You know that tape that you get that has a tiny little hole in it for you to yes, breathe? Yes, yes, I mean, yes. Is, is your work, does it sort of negate the nose breathing style of thing and say you're better off focusing on the mouth or do they work together? What, what are your thoughts on those two? And, you know, to be honest, the nose breathing, I have to see what technique they use. But for the most part, literature suggests that nasal and oral breathing is you get more oxygen that way yeah so it may be a type of nose breathing where they're in essence placing their tongue on the you know like a yoga type breathing that Mm. may help Mm. or they may that may be what's could be causing but for the most part like i said we've done all three examples nose mouth and mouthpiece and the mouthpiece by far is hands down the most effective way to lower your respiratory rate and and subsequent outcomes, positive outcomes. Wow. And, and have your tests been done, um, and I'm sorry I'm all over the place with these questions because it's more, <laughs> I have all these notes, but I'm more fascinated by the conversations. I have all these questions, so you have to excuse me. But have you been testing on elite athletes or amateurs? Who, who have you chosen to be the people that you, you do a lot of your testing with? So for the most part, it's here. We have military population there. They have military training, the cadets, the students. Mm-hmm. So although they're not elite athletes, you know, we do use individuals who are fit and we do have individuals who are using it on the mouthpiece. I believe um, Rich Froning uses this for CrossFit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we haven't done tests on him, but there are, for the most part, the tests that we do center around my students um, here at the Citadel. Yeah, I've seen there's there's quite a few um, sort of more the lifting CrossFit type 
athletes that have been using it? Has that been an area that people have been finding, you know, when you look at the more explosive power sports, is that where people have been finding the most benefits or have you been finding it in the aerobic sports like triathlon? I think equally both, but for right now, I suppose it's more, there's more um, attention to the CrossFit and that goes with some of the studies we've done with, with blood and cortisol and those cortisol levels being lowered during, after exercise and that lowering of the cortisol is helpful for recovery, Mm -hmm. but then individuals subjectively say that they can lift more. And I believe that's due to the biting down and the increase in cerebral blood flow that's occurring um, with this, that action. Cause there's really two things that are happening. My theory um, that we're still testing is increase in cerebral blood flow when you bite down. And that's based on some literature the Japanese, like I had mentioned earlier, Hasiwaga, who had done some studies with bite, like he had tooth tapping, he had clenching, like biting down, um, and then he had gum chewing, and he looked at activation of cerebral blood flow with those three tasks, and cerebral blood flow by far increased with the with the clenching. And so when we can do those studies with cerebral blood flow with a mouthpiece, and there's other studies besides his, I believe that's what's what we're going to find um, with activity, that increase in cerebral blood flow. And then that, that therefore affects potentially perceived exertion. These things are kind of hard to test, right, in the labs that we have, unless you're at a medical facility. But we see we can test cortisol, and that has been tested and shown to be reduced with mouthpiece use. You're the perfect person for this with with your neurology background, plus understanding the muscular system and the the respiratory system. I mean, the fact that we're talking about that chewing hard on something can affect the way that our cerebral system, I I just think that's fantastic. And so do you notice that it's, like you said, maybe it's perceived exertion, but even that is a positive for an elite athlete that if they can feel like they can, they can do more, they can overcome more. That's a huge, powerful effect on performance. I love that. Right. Yeah. It is, and we've subjectively gotten that uh, feedback from people. I know that's one thing I always notice is I feel like I can just go out for my run. I'm not hitting myself up with those excuses um, like <laughs> I used to before pre-mouthpiece. Wow. Okay. So, you know, when, when if people want to use these mouthpieces, should they be using them I imagine there's a bit of a learning curve to getting comfortable with it. I have I I got sent one from from Mike Danielson. I'm not going to lie about a month or so, ago, and I haven't actually used it yet. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted to have this conversation with you before I did because I I'm a skeptical Aussie that needs to be told the whys. Um, but I'm I'm very curious to go give it a, a try. But how should I get started with something like this? Is it just dive right in, or is it pace it out slowly? What do you recommend? Sure, it's. It's, it's very individualized, but I, I would suggest someone take a couple weeks just to get used to it. Mm. Um, I dove right in because I was so curious about what's going on with it that I wanted to every run or whatever I was doing, I, ha- I was taking notes. But I've heard people, some people, it takes them some time to get used to something in your mouth, but in essence, just kind of reminding your tongue to stay under the bar and to bite down. It may not be 
um, common to what most people do. Hmm. I think, though, what I would say is if you could give it a couple weeks and then see what you think and then not use it and see what you think, right? I feel like we get situations where, oh, I didn't have mine, so I've got to go back and get it. People have them in their car, (laughs) in their bag, just so they don't, they're not in a position where they won't have one. Because you do get used to it. I I have gotten used to it, and I really feel like it enhances my ability to exercise. Yeah, all of a sudden you go for a run and you feel naked. You're like, oh, no, i got to go back and get it. that's, That's another concern I have is that, when I when I find something like this that that is that I do feel whether perceived or otherwise, um, suddenly you you can't do much without it. Like I'm wearing a, as we talk right now, I'm I'm using a an Apollo Neuro. I don't know if you've heard of. Apollo yes, Neuro. I have one. Oh, I you just do? got it. Yes, yes, Could I, you tell me what you think about yours? I love it. So they yes. don't sponsor me, everybody. This is not a sponsorship by any means, um, but it is. It's all about, I had Dr. Joseph Maroon on the show. I don't know if you know Dr. Joe Maroon, but he um, he's a neurosurgeon for the Pittsburgh Steelers and a uh, fascinating story. Anyway, he said in the show, you know, you try this Apollo Neuro. So I did. I called up and, and I, every single podcast, anytime I'm doing something where I need to be either calm or depend, it depends on what setting I put it on, but I love it. Um, and again, it could be all perceived exertion because I don't read the science. I go by feel and my wife has one as well. And, you know, for these conversations, I set it to social and open and for everybody listening, it's basically, it goes by, it's working on the sense of feel, um, and touch and it sends vibrations through your body. So anyway, I'm, I really don't enjoy when I don't have it on to record an episode. I'm like, it's become my, my crutch. And I kind of feel like mm-hmm. with the mouthpiece, I'll be, oh, no, I can't, I can't do my workout. I've forgotten my, my mouthpiece. But you still can perform well. It's almost like having the mouthpiece is like a, a bonus, right? Right. And so that's good to hear about the Apollo because I'm, I've just started using it. I do like it Oh, myself. you have to tell me what you think. Yeah, that'd be great. Yes, yeah. I will. Well, you know, what I say about the mouthpiece is for me, again, going back to me and what others have said, when they're in a position without it, you know, you absolutely can perform. I just do better with it. And the literature, and we don't know this because there's not any longitudinal studies because it's such a unique area to to research. Mm. You know, I do believe it affects your ability to recover and so even though not wearing it for a day will be you'll be fine i found and this is an example from my own life so there was a time in which i didn't wear it and i immediately got injured while running and it took two years for me to get over that injury two years but i had stopped wearing it for a time thinking it didn't work as much or maybe I don't need it and I don't know if it's attributed to that but I stay healthy and at my age running is important I want to keep running for my lifespan I'm looking forward to I mean anybody listening to this should reach out to you because I'm looking forward to some tests on high performance athletes uh, potentially professional triathletes or, or amateur because they train just as hard and really getting how, how would you suggest if, if somebody, a triathlete, was to, to buy one of these or reach out to you and become a part of the, the program, 
how would they te- can they test themselves at home? What sort of parameters could they use to see the effects of the mouthpiece on their performance? People have different apps, you know, that they use to gauge their training. Um, some people, I was just introduced to some app last week, and I, I apologize, I don't recall the name of it, but they were able to look at in some way their perceived exertion rate and workload, of course. And what we're finding is those individuals who use it, they do cite increased work capacity, decreased fatigue based on the apps that they're using. And so that would be something I always like to hear from, especially elite athletes, because we're just dabbling into that area. How does it affect the endurance athlete? Mm. We know the CrossFit, we have a good sense of that from based on the lab, you know, our research as well as what subjectively people are telling us, but it would be nice to get endurance Mm. athletes. Have you noticed anything with, you know, heart rate or heart rate variability uh, when people wear these? So we um, are actually, that's our next study after the VO2 max. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. (laughs) You're good. You're planning it out for me. I don't, I don't, I need you on our team. I'll be more than happy to. I'm very curious to go give this a try. And now that we're, you know, becoming friends here through the show, I'm I'm kind of like looking forward to seeing if I can help out in the future, because it is fascinating when we, when we look at human performance, keeping our mind open to try these sort of things. How, how, far has the actual mouthpiece come since you started working on it 17 years ago, like the actual shape of it and and everything else? And when you realized that the tongue position was important, do you look back and go, oh man, you know, that first one was, we've come a long way? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, obviously it's slimmed down for sure. It was a bulky upper mouthpiece, like a mouth guard, you would imagine. And now it's what you have with you. So it has changed significantly. My jaw, my lower jaw was always quite, you know, strong, let's put it that way. And uh, I had to have a whole bunch of dental work after after I retired, just because I had a a significant underbite. So I wonder if that was a performance enhancer for me without even knowing. I have always thought that because (laughs) when I looked at um, Michael Phelps, who has that underbite, I always wondered, because we do know that shifting and most people don't have that type of bite, but we do know when you put a mouthpiece or a oral appliance in your mouth, it will shift it and it will cause that opening of your airway. So maybe you had a natural. There you go. That was my it, gift. I didn't even there know. There was it. your gift. That's right. <laughs> and so you, I'd love to get your feedback if it even helps you. You never know. Oh. It may not. It may not because I don't have a lot of individuals with yeah. underbites. Yeah. No, for sure. I'd be happy to help. Do, do you find wearing it, does it affect your saliva production? I, somebody, I get a fairly, I had to do Invisalign for a few years, like I said, with my dental work. And, um, and now probably once a week I sleep with my retainers, you know, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I find they give me quite a dry mouth. Does, does this mouthpiece do that? Or do you find it, you notice that? I haven't myself personally. I, we did have one individual who reached out Um, and said that they had increased saliva. I did read her comments and ask her to reach out to me because I wanted to figure it out. I'm assuming that maybe in those cases, maybe the tongue is kind of protruding in an awkward position and that can cause increased saliva. But it can can make your mouth dry, especially if you're running with your mouth open. Um, But I don't 
it wasn't a situation where I was just an ordinate amount mm, mm. and you can still drink with it in your mouth. It stays in place pretty good. Mm-hmm. Eating, I don't like to eat with it. No, no, I guess no, you no. could do the gels, yeah, but yeah. I wouldn't suggest that. No, I, I don't. I think anything in your mouth like that, you, yeah, <laughs> you probably no. don't want to eat with it. Um, well, you, where, do you, where do you sort of see... You know, you've mentioned that you're kind of going to start looking at sleep apnea and, and some of these things. Is is that where you see this sort of technology going? Like at the moment, it's, it's you've been looking at human performance. Um, where, where do you actually see all this technology going in the future? There's a couple avenues. We're like I said, after the VO2 max study, we're going to take a group of cadets, and there's a the aura ring. Have you used seen that technology? And it can measure heart rate variability. There's also biometrics produces a biostrap that may we may use that but really looking at sleep and we're going to modify the mouthpiece so that it will help collect or maintain that tongue positioning and we're going to look at these changes with sleep so i see that as one area because sleep is such an important part of recovery for athletes and also for individuals who just are struggling with sleep oh. for a variety of reasons. It's the, most, right. it's the most important thing for all of us. I mean, I, I, it's, Correct. we've come a long way with health and wellness. It's, I was having a conversation with um, a friend of mine who was a professional ice hockey player and, and we were sort of talking about the 90s and how we all just belted ourselves, you know, and it was like you thought about health and wellness as almost weakness, you know, it's like, right. <laughs> and, and now we're, we're to the point in high performance sport, especially where we look at health, health and wellness as a, at the forefront and understanding your sleep. And that's why we have things like Aura and Whoop and these other brands out there that are saying, hey, we can help you with this sleep. I had Dr. Tommy Wood on though again for the third time. I don't know if you know Dr. Tommy Wood, but I heard that podcast. Yeah, yes, it was wonderful. A brilliant guy, and and he is mm-hmm. a, a good friend. And he said, "Look, maybe we're over measuring everything a little bit. We we no longer yes. just sleep or eat or anything for the joy of it. We're constantly measuring." But but I think there's a time and place to monitor these things on an individual, and especially yourself in the research lab. You know, obviously, you need these tools. I think for a lot of my listeners, it's like, hey, guys, you know, we don't have to measure every single thing. Sometimes it's nice just to relax and turn off. But I am looking forward to seeing what research you can gather with sleep and if something, you know, with this mouthpiece and, and maybe the mouthpiece even changes shape or, or who knows when you're sleeping, you know, because how does the tongue perform? Sorry, I'm kind of thinking out loud here, but how mm-hmm. does your tongue sort of move around while you're sleeping? Does it just sit still or mm-hmm. is it a constant no, it'll, if you, we can even lay back, kind of lay your head back. You can feel it falling back. And that's the problem with people with sleep apnea and snoring uh. is that it, it, it loses its strength basically as you age and it just kind of falls back and occludes that opening your air way and causes you to snore and then not to sleep well. What we see with the mouthpiece, and I've designed a few just prototypes, if you can, like I said earlier, the tongue likes to kind of feel for something. If you can make that bar a little further back, but not result in a gag reflex, mm-hmm. you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You can keep that tongue in a better position. And I've had people, I've made made them mouthpieces just for that. And they say it helps with snoring and with uh, a little bit of sleep apnea. But we're doing some studies now with a similar mouthpiece to see if it does have a positive effect. And snoring is positively decreased with 
the mouth with a mouthpiece um, that we've designed. Is snoring a bad thing for the person that's actually snoring? Mm, just for your partner in the bed, but, <laughs> <laughs> right. but it, doesn't it mean you found a pretty deep sleep? I mean, isn't that the goal? Like, so maybe stopping it is sure. not a good thing. I don't know. I'm just throwing ideas out here. I have no clue what I'm talking about. I don't know enough about snoring, except that the you know, it is a negative impact on the individual you're with. And <laughs> yes. so you want to maintain that relationship in a positive that, that way. Affects, that affects your life going forward. That's right. Oh, That'll I, affect your waking hours for sure. <laughs> I love it. Well, can we, let's, can you throw some numbers at me in terms of what you've been able to see? Because I, I know for, I'm one of those people that love to know some of the research numbers. When, when we talk about the effects of wearing a mouthpiece. What have you seen? What are some of the data? What are some of the numbers that you've seen in terms of both the cerebral sense, like you talked about, and then also the respiratory um, performance? So we um, have looked, we have not looked at cerebral blood flow. That is our next, that's my next area too. But we've looked at cortisol, blood and salivary. And we've seen numbers as high as a 51% difference in uh, cortisol levels post-exercise. And that is phenomenal because we know elevated cortisol levels affect recovery muscle synthesis and recovery. So having that ability to mitigate or minimize, you know, that is positive to minimize, you know, or to actually improve the body's ability to recover your muscle. With the respiratory rate and lactate levels, it's around 20% improvement. So we're, you know, again, going back to the fact that it's not going to make you be a, or have you be an Olympic athlete, it does have these improvements that are, for each time you wear it, that's what's happening. And so we um, see that as a positive in recovery and during exercise itself. That's fascinating. I mean, those numbers, okay, you say they might not make you an Olympic athlete, but if an Olympic athlete tries these things, and even if we're talking, I mean, we're talking marginal gains at that level, right? Absolutely. If right. it gives you a 0.1%. I agree. It's like, it's massive. It's off the chart. Um, and not that I, you know, I'm a huge believer, I'm a big believer in nothing worthy comes easy, right? So there's no real shortcuts, but if there's a way to allow you to do the hard work properly and more efficiently, I'm all about it. These numbers, like the cortisol, and for people that don't understand cortisol, in its simplest form, what is it? It's basically a built-in alarm system for the body right. to just, you know, the stress hormone. Um, stress. So, yeah, I mean, maybe you could say it better than I can. But basically, when we talk about cortisol, it affects our mood, our motivation. It can affect, uh, you know has a direct adrenal glands really right right no you're good and i think we well we do need cortisol obviously but and we see that with our studies it does track well and it helps us to burn glucose and our fuels correctly but what we don't want to see is what happens i a good example is you know you have your final exams you're staying up all night you get sick well because a lot of that is your cortisol levels the stress hormone has initiated just these outcomes that result in a decreased immune response. So with resistance training, weight training, the increased cortisol occurs, and that's been demonstrated time and time again with resistance training. It'll come back down, but what we demonstrated was 
for the people with the, without the mouthpiece, it went up just like the literature had demonstrated in the past. But with the mouthpiece, it actually went down right after exercise. And so that is a very good understanding of how it could potentially affect recovery and then the subsequent training. And like you said, it ha- helps not only in recovery, but then helps you work at a higher level. So that is all a very positive thing. It's fascinating. I I'm so excited to go give it a try now. <laughs> and, and, and look, definitely the perceived exertion when I come to weight training, I'm, I'm looking just to see the effects on that. I'm looking forward to um, going for, you know, like, a, you know, a five mile run or whatever. I don't do terribly much these days, but even perceived exertion plus how I feel breathing. And then I, the third part, I'm looking forward to wearing it to sleep to see how I feel sleeping. Mm-hmm. And I don't, these days, honestly, I don't wear a watch. Uh, um, I don't test anything really. I just, everything's by feel. So for me, that's the only kind of science I'll be going by, but I am looking forward to giving it a go um, and trying it out. And I kind of, I want everybody listening to, you know, go check it out as well. This is not a sponsorship plug. I have nothing to do with uh, Airwave and I've brought you on because I was just curious about the science behind it and understanding more about it. Like I said, I'm fascinated from learning from incredible people like yourself. What, what, what are some of the questions that you still have that are, you know, unanswered in, in your research? So, you know, you've talked about you, you've got certain amount of tests that you want to do. What else is out there that you're like, okay, I need to add this and this and this before we can really hit the growth dial with airwave and, and these mouthpieces? Obviously, we're, you know, the sleep study, the pilot study is going to be good. But another area of research that I do is concussion research. Mm. And so if you look at that literature, you see the, the Churchill and the, some other, there's other many other researchers who've shown a correlation with symptoms, severity, and cerebral blood flow. And we're seeing with concussion recovery that we're in, including you know, very low to moderate exercise. And so based on what I read in the literature with the mouthpiece, I believe including the mouthpiece with a concussion recovery protocol will enhance cerebral blood flow and therefore affect recovery in a positive way. And so that is really exciting for me to see how we could potentially support that um, protocol, that recovery protocol for concussion. Because, I mean, for the most part, you know, you may wear this, right? And you may not see a difference and it could be because of your mandibular um, positioning. But we've not had people use it and not many, I shouldn't say not any, but not many who say, oh, this is horrible. I can't breathe. I can't do anything with it in. It's really, it doesn't cause negative. I mean, you don't want to use anything that could cause a negative outcome. And so if we could demonstrate that, okay, it does improve. And then for this application of concussion recovery, it facilitates recovery. That is fascinating to me. Could we, so. We could have done the whole show just on concussion. Uh, Yes. I've had that many, well, rugby tackles and then bike accidents, three with cars and things. I've had my fair share of concussions. My brother was a professional rugby player. Um, I, I had a, a guy that will come on the show in the next few weeks who was a professional ice hockey player. He doesn't like me calling it ice hockey. He said in, in the States, Greg, we just say hockey. Um, and he's had his fair share of concussions. And, and we've 
the older we all get, you know, we're all in our fifties now and we, we, we realize the science is out there that saying these concussions can really have a, an impact on you later in life, right? You, you can get right. through your twenties and thirties taking the hits and you're, oh, I'm fine. And it's all like, bravo, bravo. But then it's later on in life, it can really affect, you know, depression and mood and Alzheimer's and, and everything else. And so knowing that there's science and research going into this is uh, really music to my ears. So that's fascinating. Just, and that comes from biting down, right? The cerebral blood flow. Mm, correct. Yeah. Interesting. Correct. And so at the moment you don't have enough science or research to back up what you believe, but that's, that's the hope for the future here. That's the, yeah. Based and that's based on what other people have done. So there's enough out there to give me a strong uh, sense that this can be a positive for individuals i've done a, i've done like a couple of people with the mouthpiece not with cerebral blood flow but with measuring some met, uh, techno using technology that i've used with concussion mm. and there are differences with mouthpiece use in that with that technology so um it there's i think there is something to be demonstrated with it we just have to that'll be our yeah next some of our next studies fantastic you're amazing i love it i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap up the show by just asking you a, a couple of questions and the first one if it's okay if you could sit with any three living people who would it be and why and it, actually they don't have to be living any three people who could who would it be and why now you throw the not living and now that's throw me off oh, because no. well, I, I, for, for listeners out there, this is, I do throw this question out before the show. So they, my guests have a little bit of a chance to um, do some homework so we can throw the living back in. There. That's all it's, I'm giving you a hard time. So this was a source of, you know, of all the questions you would ask where, why is this the hardest? I asked my cadets in class today too. It was, so yeah. I got some very, curious or interesting yeah. responses. I, you know, I asked my old, two older sons and I would not say what they had said, but. <laughs> well, you're going to have to give me what they said now. Well, I, you know, it's just, no, I'm not. I would embarrass them, but. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I do like to read books. And yeah. so I always, the things that I'm learning from books, and even though he may be a controversial individual, um, Jordan Peterson is, has such a way to explain things that if you've read the 12 rules mm -hmm. uh, for life, mm -hmm. it is fascinating. And so especially rule number eight, when it's, he talks about telling the truth and I, I thought I was one of these people. I always told the truth, but the way he, he makes you think about being honest with ourselves mm -hmm. and with others, it really makes you a more authentic individual. So I love how he writes those things so that I can think about life. I, I don't like just reading and regurgitating what everybody else says. So to read and to read and take in individuals who have a different perspective like he does really helps me hopefully grow as an individual. So mm. I would say him because I Fantastic. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd yeah. love to be, sit. I'll, I'll wait your table on that one. Uh, yes. yeah, he's fascinating. <laughs> okay. One good one. So another one that I heard on a podcast actually was Dr. Todd Cashton, and he's from George Mason. And he wrote this book that just came out. It's called The Art of Insubordination, mm -hmm. How to Dissent and Defy Effectively. So basically, it sounds terrible, like I'm some sort of um, crazy person wanting to create riots. But he talks about the science of being a, virtu a virtuous or upright rebel mm -hmm. 
Mm. and how you live life more purposefully and you can create change in the world around you. So for me, I like to read things that have science to back it up. And then he really kind of, I have only read the first like quarter of the book, but it's really kind of fascinating for me to think about being um, a minority of one, you know, living life purposefully and not being afraid of what people say about you. I mean, you're Mm -hmm. going to be respectful of people, obviously, but um, I really enjoy, I'd like to get his perspective more on that. Yeah, there's a real strength there, isn't there? A strength of character. Yes. 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 I like that one very much. All um, right. Then more. my last one would be, I have to I have to work on laughing more because you, at a military school, there's not a whole ton of humor. <laughs> so <laughs> I like a good comedy, a comedian. Yeah. And there's a, a funny one, I don't know all of his but Nate Bargatze, he did a really hilarious Cape Fear Serpentarium. And he's a Southerner, so I'd love to hear Southerners talk about Southern things. So I like to laugh. And so I would have somebody who is a 180 of Jordan Peterson, and that would be Nate Bargatze. <laughs> <laughs> what a great answer. Thank you for taking the time like you did, because it's, it is fascinating when you stop to think and go, okay, if I had this chance. What I love about it is you, you first to... Two people that are very intellectual, very uh, cerebral people that are really trying to understand the human psyche and how we can best operate and are very asking ourselves to be very honest and true to ourselves. Right. And then and then you have the comedian to just go, okay, take a deep breath. <laughs> like, you can't do that all the time. And, that's right. And let's just be joyful for a moment without. <laughs> that's being... <laughs> right. That's I, think, right. I think you just crushed that. And I think that's a fascinating dinner. So uh, what did some of your cadets have to say when you said you brought it uh, up? They, of course, were in the South and um, they said, let's see, Joe Rogan was one. Yeah. And um, uh, there was one more. It was just on the 180 of Joe Rogan, and I uh, can't remember what his name yeah. was. But they were just throwing things out, and I said, but they were thinking, thinking, right? So that it was just, yeah. it wasn't just um, Kardashian. Not that the Kardashians are bad, no, but I get no, it. I get know. it. Yeah, no, I think I think it's great. And Joe Rogan would be a fascinating one. He's a great conversationalist. He's, right. you know, I'm somebody that I actually don't listen to podcasts very much. I, I do listen to audio books. So when I work out, I listen to books. And uh, so, I, you know, they're basically a form of podcast to some degree. But when I first started this show, I heard that Joe Rogan was the number one podcaster in the world. So I have listened to Joe Rogan, but not listening to what he's got to say, more listening how he's doing it. And so I come from a very different approach when I think of Joe Rogan. I'm like, okay, right? how is he able to keep a conversation like this on, on with this person? And, you know, he, he's a fascinating individual. He's very intelligent. He obviously does his homework, you know, and that's the only time I've seen Jordan Peterson was actually on Joe Rogan's show when I was doing oh, homework. So he's interviewed that. Jordan mm-hmm. a few times on that show and they, they have fabulous conversation. Mm-hmm. All right, one more question. What advice would you give to listeners just on how to optimize their own lives? You know, that was another hard question because people don't ask your advice. And so when you're asked, you're like, oh, I have to be wise with this. (laughs) So I'm like making lists everywhere. (laughs) I literally am making lists. I'm like, oh, goodness, I have to I have to hit this out of the park. Well, I probably won't. But I do think the number one thing and I try to teach my kids this is to be be grateful. Mm. I feel like. Mm. That's just the first and important thing in life. Mm. Also silly, but 
important for me is you've got to drink some really don't drink bad coffee. You cannot. This life's too short to drink bad coffee. <laughs> I love it. And you should not be wearing uncomfortable shoes. I always wear tennis shoes everywhere because life's too short to be wearing uncomfortable shoes. So those are kind of silly, but also pretty profound from uh, my perspective on how to live life. I, I think the gratefulness card is just honestly taking a deep breath and it's easy to be grateful when life's going well. I don't know if you've found right. that, but it's easy to do oh, that. Yes. But if you can make it a habit, it'll be there for you even when, you know, th things happen, you know, life throws throws us curveballs. But if you can at least approach it with gratefulness, it's amazing what we all have around us that we take for granted. And, and sometimes we all just need that little slap in the face and go, hey, we got it Correct. pretty good, right? So I think, I think that's fantastic. And there's been a, quite a few guests that I've had that have had gratefulness. I think consistency has been another mm. one, you know, keep turning up. They're all just nice little mantras for us all to have in our habit kind of routines that we have. So anyway, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. What, what have you got next in the, in the short term? I know with your research, you've got a lot on your plate, but what about just uh, in your own life? So I was awarded a sabbatical for next year. So that means I'll have all of next year, which I'm excited about to do research. And that will be amazing. Mm. Amazing. Mm. That's fantastic. When you say next year, is that 2023 or is that in university time, August? University time, July 1st, 2022. All right. Oh, so you're yes. going to be, uh, that's going to be a fantastic year. Well, this has been just wonderful. Getting to know you, getting to know your research, uh, the science behind it. I'm incredibly excited to go check out the airwave and, and give it a good go. And, you know, I, I hope this is the start of many conversations and uh, whether on air or off air, because I, I'm fascinated about what you're doing and truly appreciate you coming on. So, so thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it, Dr. Garner. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon. <laughs>